life. It's another round of win or go home action at the Gold Cup Thursday. We're looking ahead to both semifinals as the United States and Mexico each play for their spot in Sunday's Sin City Final. Speaking of El Tri and the USMNT, their next World Cup qualifying showdown won't be in Columbus. Will the ghosts of Cruz Stadium and Dos Acero move south or will they be left behind? And in Japan, the Olympics reach the knockout rounds. The US women and Mexican men are still dreaming of a medal, but how much longer will the dream last? All that and much more starting now on Football Americas. Welcome into this edition of Football Americas alongside my good friend and colleague Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar Herc. So much to get to in the show. You ready to tackle it all? I am. Can we share with the public what you just asked me? Uh, what did I ask? Uh, Luis Romo doing this and mm-hmm. you say all the players do it. Why? What is that? And what I said, is that? It's a heart. Yes. I'm heartless. You know that. <laughs> I'm heartless. I'm the voice of criticism here on Football Americas. Uh, by the way, the voice of criticism can be heard loud and clear, Herc, on the podcast, which you can find wherever you download your pods under the ESPN FC feed. Plenty to discuss on this show. We got Jonathan Bond of the LA Galaxy. Like a Los Angeles feel to this show a little bit. Uh, we're not just in the LA studio. We got Jonathan Bond. Plus, we got a huge MLS blockbuster trade to discuss, Herc, which involves... The other team in Los Angeles, LAFC and Mark Anthony K, now being shipped to the Colorado Rapids. But let's start, shall we, with the Gold Cup. Down to the Final Four, down to the semifinals, United States and Qatar in Austin on Thursday night, the first of the two semifinals Thursday. U.S., of course, won their group, beating Jamaica in the quarterfinals. Qatar won their group, beating El Salvador in the quarterfinals to get to the stage of the tournament. One thing we know about Qatar... They can score a tournament-high 12 goals so far in this competition. They're the defending Asian champs, and they're riding a 12-match unbeaten streak, their last loss November of 2020. For more on Qatar, here's Paul Ariola. Yeah, Qatar's, a, Qatar's an interesting team. Uh, you know, they're, they, they're actually very, very compact in the back, uh, and, and their offensive transition is unbelievable. They're, they're, they have real quality going forward. Um, so I think overall we expect to, to have a little bit more of possession, uh, but at the same time we have to be very careful because we know how dangerous they could be going forward. So uh, for us it's going to be you know, being able to penetrate them, get in behind, uh, and obviously finish our chances early on. All right, Herc, from that, I think uh, Paul's got me a little bit worried. Uh, what about you? How big a threat would you say Qatar is to the United States? And I would like for you to express this in numerical fashion. One being the least worried, ten being the most worried. Seven. Okay, that's pretty worried. No, no, it's, it's for the U.S. Men's National Team, absolutely. Not only did Qatar have a lot of firepower, but they make things very attractive for the neutral. And that means they don't mind going toe-to-toe. What you're but, saying is they're kind of a wreck. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> they're, they're chaotic in a fun way. Look okay. at the, two of the best games I saw this Gold Cup were Qatar versus Panama and then Qatar versus El Salvador. Yep. And that's who they are to a T. Are you familiar with rope-a-dope, the boxing term? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. You kind of invite the other guy forward. He thinks he's got you beat, and bam. You hit him. Boom, there you go. That is Qatar. They will let you have the ball. They will let you have possession. They will somewhat be pinned in behind with their own doing, by design. So when they win the ball, they explode. So they invite that high line that the U.S. Men's National Team loves to play. And all of a sudden, if you lose the ball, because we've seen the U.S. Men's National Team have a tendency to not prioritize possession in the center midfield and get sloppy with it at times. If you do that against this Qatar team, there are some ballers who can hurt you. And look at the names. Amoez Ali, four goals. Khatim, uh, three goals. You look at Afif and Roro. I'm, if I'm pronouncing that right. Three assists apiece. They've got some ballers in transition. 
that can really hurt you. So yes, did I mention they're the champs of Asia? They're yes. the champs of their confederation? Yep. yep. Did I mention their Felix Sanchez, their manager, has been with a bunch of these players since they were like U19s? This is a team that by design likes to make chaotic likes to make it an open game. All right, let's say at least what the odds makers are saying here. The U.S. pretty significant favorites to advance. If we're just going to advance, minus 215, Qatar plus 170. If you don't follow odds, that means the United States are pretty significant favorites. Still, I'm kind of with you. I feel this uh, as a little bit of a coin toss. If it was USA against Qatar A, I'd be singing a different tune, but it's not the USA A team. Here is something from the odds makers that I found that I liked. I want to see if you agree with. The over-under in a soccer game always kind of settles in at two and a half, right? You can adjust that line. Over two and a half here, Herc, plus 110. That sounds to me like a really good deal. I think this is going to be a game with a lot of goals. I think it is going to be open, free-flowing, but I know semifinals and finals specifically. But you get this late in a tournament, games kind of tend to get stale. What kind of matchup do you think we get? I hope it gets stale for the U.S. Men's National Team. That's it, better for them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If, if it's a... Over the two and a half uh, marker that you just put down, the U.S. men's national team is in trouble. Look at the games that they've won in this Gold Cup. 1-0 games. Yep, yep. Okay? Uh, they, get, they, they talk a lot about the resiliency in that camp. That just means they know how to suffer. That means they know how to get it and grind out these games. I don't think that's quite an attribute to have. You, you should learn how to suffer uh, in this upbringing of what is a team. But when you're trying to win, that's not a good quality. Right. You know, you, you want to also deal out the suffering, deal out the punishment, and they've not been able to do that with the exception of one game. So if it's an open game, that just goes in Qatar's favor. Fair enough. All right, uh, Greg Berhalter just wrapped up his match day one press conference. It was effectively uh, what he says in the day leading up to the game. Now, he did have some interesting quotes about Qatar, but I want us to hear this next quote from Berhalter because it seems to deal with the criticism that this U.S. team is getting from its fans. Here it is. You know, it, it's this is exactly why we, we did this, this type of thing, you know. And, um, you know, I, I hear some of the, the comments about, oh, you know, they're, they're not playing great or it's not the best roster or this and that, you know. And, you know, that doesn't concern me at all. What concerns me is the output and, and the energy that the guys are um, playing with and the commitment that the guys are playing with. Um, you know, we've given up one goal so far in this tournament. Um, we're in the semifinals now with this young group, and the resiliency and the relentlessness that they play with um, is a great example. It's a great example to the to the whole entire player pool that when we step on the field, we want to win games, and um, they've been doing a very good job. Funny, right? You always hear coaches and players. They say they never listen to the media. They never hear what we're saying. Uh, clearly, Greg Berhalter has heard some of it. What do you make of what he says? I agree with you, uh, and you should come no surprise that players, athletes, they read, they listen, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they watch, they do everything to find out what's going on in the court of public opinion. And you could be a blogger in Omaha, Nebraska, these guys are gonna know exactly what you said. Take that criticism, use it to fuel you, but don't act like it's not important. Don't act like you phase it out, because you clearly don't phase it out, you prioritize it. Now. It's actually also downplaying, I think this is important, it's downplaying the criticism. It's effectively what he's saying is, we're not playing as bad as y'all are making it sound like we're playing. Can do we you disagree with, do you, do you agree with him or disagree with him there? Uh, no, I, I don't think they're playing as well as he thinks. Okay. Maybe not as bad as the general public thinks, but not as well as he thinks. This is the Gold Cup and it's the, the C team and maybe he's got more perspective on putting a 
group of players together that have never played before. 12 of them have never even played in the senior national team level before this tournament and getting results. But you're still getting results at this level. And soon it'll be Qatar. And if you get lucky enough to beat Qatar, it'll be a Mexico or Canada in what for many of these players will be the very first final they've ever played in their professional careers. Very well said. Very well said. As far as what's at stake in this game, obviously a spot in the final, right? right. A spot in your continental final, a spot in the Gold Cup final is at stake. That's very important. Paul Ariola also spoke today, and here's what he had to say was at stake against Qatar in the semifinals Thursday night. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it, it's, it's not just about Mexico. It's about the final. It's about being a champion. Um, you know, this is a different group than the Nations League, and, and this is also uh, a team that's just as hungry, players that are just as hungry, guys with experience, guys that are inexperienced, that this, this might be their first time uh, potentially playing in a final. Uh, so for us, I think that's, that's, more of the, that's more of the motivation, is to get to the final and be champions. Uh, if it happens to be Mexico, great. If it, you know, if it, if it happens to be uh, Canada, great. It, you know, it doesn't really matter to us as long as uh, you know, we're, we're in the final and, and we win. We're going to get into the different expectations, different pressures between the U.S. and Mexico a little bit later in the show. But no matter what, whether it's C-Team, they're at home. They're against Qatar. It's a semifinal of your continental competition. The U.S. has to reach the final here, don't they? Uh, you're asking if it would be a failure if they don't. And I think at an administrative, administrative level, it would be a failure because you put this team out there. Right. It's not the players' fault that they've never had this Did type they of experience. put this team out there, though, with the idea that they were actually going to win this tournament? Do That's you a good think? question. That's, see, I don't That's know that that was question. the internal expectation. I don't think so either. Yeah. I think it was identifying players. Uh, and if that's the case, maybe in their minds it's success. But nobody outside of the U.S. soccer fan base or the pundits is going to care or even prioritize what you think that is. Right. They're going to see U.S. in its own country, in the Gold Cup, which is their confederation's final. They're not there. In a tournament where Mexico and the U.S. men's national team are designed to meet in the final. The tournament is designed for these two countries to meet in Las Vegas. And if you don't, it's a failure in everybody else's eyes. The expectations will be that the U.S. and Mexico see each other in Las Vegas. That's why we're making the trip, right? Well, I'm <laughs> We're not going for, for Canada and Qatar, are we? I'll, I'll still be there for Canada. You would? You'd yes, be there for yes. Canada and Qatar? All right. <laughs> yes, uh, fair enough. One more note on the U.S. men's national team. is actually not with the team right now. He was in preseason with Valencia. But Yunus Musa, her bad news, has picked up an injury. Looks like he'll be out uh, at least three weeks, potentially as long as six weeks with what they're calling um, a knee injury. Look, he's, he's 18 years old. He's very much still trying to solidify his spot with Valencia. A, a brutal timing, Herc, for an injury here for young Brutal player. timing. Uh, solidified time with Valencia what's coming up for the U.S. men's national team and World Cup qualifying. He seems to be a player that's in the mix for both. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with his real first injury. Yeah, and at the very least, we know he will miss Valencia's La Liga opener in the coming weeks. All right, what about Mexico? They've drawn Canada in the Gold Cup semifinals in Houston in the nightcap on Thursday. If you want your odds to advance here, Mexico minus 360. That means they're huge favorites. Canada at plus 270, basically three to one underdogs. If there is a slight concern here to Mexico, I don't know how big a concern this is. Now Edson Alvarez is a doubt with a muscular injury though there is some hope that he could play against the Canadians in the semifinal. Herc, if Edson can't go, how big a miss is that for Mexico? Well, it's really their only real ball winner in the center right. of the park, if you think about it. Eric Gutierrez isn't that guy. Uh, Acha Acha Hector Herrera really isn't that guy. Jonathan Santos 
can be, but you want him as a box to box. Yeah. You want him setting the tone. He's not really. You the want Jonah in the box. You want him getting there late in the box. This yeah. is, these are the games yeah. where he scores. Edson, at that Edson, that's his bread and butter. He's very good at anticipating. Maybe he's not so good when he has the ball at his feet and coming out, but that's what Acha Acha is there for. That's what Jonah dos Santos is there for. That's what Eric Gutierrez is supposed to be there for. So, in theory, Edson is your only real defensive bite that you have there. Can you get away with it? Yeah, I think you can get away right. with it, but it's not ideal. Uh, no, not at all. Is that down to what this Canadian team kind of is right now? Right. Between the big players missing, we've talked about it, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, now some injuries, suspensions that they've picked up as well. This is not the best version of Canada. So even if you don't have an Edson Alvarez, the expectation here is still that Mexico is going to walk this game, right? The expectation for Mexico and maybe on paper, because if you look at the injuries, I mean, mm -hmm. Kyle Laren, he's gone. Ayoaki Nola, ACL, he's gone. i got to be honest. I don't see Canada threatening Mexico in this game. This is, And maybe that's a result of how Mexico played in the quarterfinal. Well, let me tell you, what about Cavallini? Guess what? Suspended. Right. So this is, <laughs> this is the most confident I've been at any point about Mexico in this tournament. And I think it's probably a Canada team that is, given the injuries, around too far. Maybe, but let me let me just say this. You look at the teams that Mexico has played. They played against Trinidad and Tobago, uh, eliminated from World Cup contention. Guatemala, who wasn't even they in They haven't this played tournament. anybody yet. They haven't played right. anybody. Canada is going to be their stiffest test. Defensively, Arts. they're going to be good. Maybe offensively, a little toothless, punchless than what they can be, but still a team with great balance and can definitely complicate things. For this team that Mexico, quite frankly, before this last game, wasn't really running all cylinders offensively. Fair enough. So you were seven worried about the U.S. against Qatar. What are you on the one to ten scale worried about Mexico against Canada? Five and a half. Really? Yeah. I, I would have thought it'd be lower than that. No, Five and a half. no, Seems no. Like you're, you're, you're quite worried. No, no. Estacio, Jolie, they still got some players that can hurt you running out of the midfield from deep. Canada's very well organized. They're a different team. This isn't your Canada of old. Okay. You know, I, I think Canada can present some physical uh, disadvantages to this Mexican national team. But in the end, if you look on paper, the quality for Mexico is just too much. Well, I think the one thing that may not be in Mexico's favor here, especially playing in the United States because it's effectively a home match, so you got the crowd there, um, is the pressure. Is the pressure. Because here, if I'm Canada, this is a free hit for me, right? You're, you're effectively playing with nothing to lose. Yeah. Mexico has everything to lose. In fact, I don't know if, if Mexico and Tata Martino actually hurt have anything to win. Like, this to me is the all-pressure moment right now. Hold on a second. Yeah. Before this tournament, you said... Because if they win, okay. if they win, you're, you're, you're always supposed to beat Canada. Correct. And you're definitely supposed to beat Canada when they don't have a whole bunch of their best players, and you've brought your A-team. Okay. Right? Right. You, you just, you, you have to do it. So you agree with me. If you lose... Well, you lost to Canada. You're out in the semifinals. <laughs> you lost in the semifinal, which, by the way, Mexico has done before. No. Do not let history repeat itself. Do you remember the last time that Canada beat Mexico in the Gold Cup? It was a quarterfinal victory, a two-to-one quarterfinal victory. But then they go on. Was that uh, 2000? Was that the Pat Onstad? What, Canada? What, what was that? That was 2000. Yes, when Canada. 92nd-minute goal. Uh, who was it that scored? Richard Hastings. Wow, look at you. Somebody was on Wikipedia earlier today. It, it is very much a must-win for Mexico. Right? Right? I mean, as, as far as Muslims, I don't think it's a must-win for that man, Tata Martino, but it's a must-win for Mexico. Oh, I, I, I think it's a must-win for Tata Martino. I know you do. I, I, let's, you, you think talk the about meeting's that coming? All right. You talk about that pressure, and how can you not have that pressure? Player selection, people still talk about Javier Hernandez, Chicharito Hernandez. Uh, you talk about the games that they've lost and how they've lost. Do you remember who they lost to in the CONCACAF Nations League final and how they lost? No, I, I've actually entirely blacked it out. <laughs> Did we not talk about it for seven episodes on this show? What are you but, talking about, But Rob? this is a game that yeah. they should have won. 
they had the better of the play and they get beat on dead ball situations and then he lets himself get red carded in a high pressure yep. moment yep. it just seems like he's letting the pressure get to him so yes Tata Martino's clearly under pressure I would say this uh, the pressure for his job won't come until the World Cup qualifiers one of those World Cup qualifiers obviously will be against the United States it'll be on November 12th and Herc we now know where it will be and where it won't be. No longer in Columbus for the first time since 1997. The U.S.-Mexico, at least the U.S.-based side of the World Cup qualifying rivalry, won't be played in Columbus. It is moving south to Cincinnati. Herc, do you agree with the decision to take this historic rivalry out of Columbus? Where are they going to put it? Lower Columbus. Field. Hold on. Lower.com field with yes. zero history just because it's in Columbus. Wait a sec. No, but, but stop. No, no. You want no. to take it to Cincinnati, a stadium that just opened months ago, and you want to talk about history now? No, that's eh, the thing. Wrong. That's incorrect. That's Next thing. argument. Go ahead. I don't want to take it to Cincinnati. They you wanted to leave Columbus. You disrespecting Columbus soccer history right now. Yeah, that's exactly what mm-hmm. I'm doing. How, Sounds did, like how did you decipher that one? <laughs> I'm disrespect. Think about this for a second. Think about in the history of professional sports when they tear down or they move from a place and go somewhere new. They never have that same aura, that same mystique that same folklore about it. It's always something different, like the Ghost in Yankee Stadium, like in Torreon Santo Stadium, how it was this little small place and it mm-hmm. was hectic to play there. You go to TSM and it's a beautiful city of art facility and it's not the same feeling. Don't you want those Mexican time. players flying into the same airport that they've flown into a million times you know before what I want? and lost and you know had what that? I want? Yeah. I want it to feel like a home field environment. Well, it always has in Columbus, has it not? Well, not last game. What happened? No, 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 but the, the, you're saying home field environment. You're not talking about what happened in the match. Yeah, well, that can't happen in Cincinnati? It may well happen why, in Cincinnati. Why, why are you they know you've got it in Columbus, Cincinnati. so why move it? Do you, think, do you think the Brainiacs at the Federation and Greg Berhalter are sitting there and be like, do you think Columbus is good? Or how about Cincinnati? You know, that might be okay. Mm. Why don't we just try it? You don't think they've analyzed every single situation about how to make this a home venue? I'd like to think... If you tear down a facility, tear down one place, it's carte blanche. It's open season for right. the rest. Right. And that's Minnesota. That could be Kansas City. That could be Cincinnati. But you try it. Mm-hmm. And people wonder why we have no history here um, in American soccer. One thing that I would Don't say. Don't tear down Columbus Crew Stadium. Lower.com field. You know what it has that Crew Stadium did not, which would be very helpful in a situation like this? this? A roof. Because a roof keeps the noise in. And if you want an intimidating environment for that Mexican team to come into, a roof helps a lot. They Can got we that. open it for the snow and then close it for the noise? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. One more thing. The small stadium is a big, yeah. big part of this decision making. It's a big part of the factor, right? If you've got a 70,000 seat stadium, you can't keep people out. If you're the U.S. Soccer Federation and you've got a 20,000 seat stadium, which is what they got about in Cincinnati, you get 15,000 of those seats to the American Outlaws. And basically, you're not going to let any Mexican fans in. That's how you control. Oh, so by design. Look at that. There you go. Um, for more on that, let's listen to what Greg Berhalter said, because today they also asked him about moving USA-Mexico World Cup qualifier from Columbus to Cincinnati. Regarding um, Cincinnati uh, for the Mexico game, you know, we took a hard look at all the venues. And I think one thing that was important was we're going to need every venue that we play in to have an absolute rocking crowd. You know, we, we, we feel like we made some mistakes in the last qualifying cycle, um, particularly in the Costa Rica game, not having a, a crowd that was um, that was 100% U.S., and that's going to be extremely important. And when I look at, um, you know, some of the venues we've chosen already and, and what we'll continue to announce, I think it fits perfectly into what we're, what we're talking about. 
All right, Herc, you know what there is right there? It's an admission. It's an oh, admission those are that, shots. That, those are shots. You think so? Yeah. So, uh, I'll ask you this, because there was a long time where people around U.S. soccer didn't want to admit that putting that game, the USA-Costa Rica match, in New Jersey was a mistake. And the few people who mentioned it, hey, we didn't have really have a home field advantage, kind of got hammered for saying, hey, yeah. you, you got to win wherever you are if you're in your home country. <laughs> now it turns out everybody at the Federation, and really everybody's saying, we really got to put some thought into where who we are. Who was up. wrong? Yep. Name. Put a name on it. I mean, because it could, what is it, Jurgen? Was it Bruce? Was it somebody within the Federation? To be fair, it's not the first time. Like, they played El Salvador one time at RFK. <laughs> not, not as much. <laughs> right. Ticket sales are, are going to be great. Yes. But yes. Right. Yeah. I, actually, I, I, in a lot of ways, I give the Federation credit here for something that I usually don't give them credit for, which is I always say the Federation's first priority in any soccer, men, women, youth, is, is profit. And is the ability to make money. If you put USA Mexico in a big stadium in the U.S., you're going to make money. If you put it in a small stadium, you're giving up some of that so, cash to keep that advantage, which is not putting profit. So very quickly, very competition. This is first. why having somebody like a GM like Brian McBride or Ernie right, Stewart right. at the federation level is a great thing. Being now, now with the business now, exactly. guys. Right. Now with the business, you have sporting decisions and you don't come to what was Costa Rica in pretty much New Jersey. Fair enough. Okay, so enough on the U.S. team. One more bit of news on the Mexican national team and some very good news. Raul Jimenez in a preseason friendly for Wolves against Al-Shabaab FC of the Saudi League scored a goal. Now it was be- behind closed doors, so we don't have video of it, but it was a penalty goal, but still hurt. It's a goal for our man. It's bread and butter, and you know what that's going to do? Confidence. This is what he needs the most. He needs to be mentally fit, because physically he's cleared. That'll come mentally. Can you get there? Can you be ready? Raul Jimenez back on the mark for Wolves albeit in a preseason friendly. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. The U.S. women's national team into the quarterfinals at the Olympics, but not in very impressive fashion. Or it must be said, a 0-0 draw against Australia on Tuesday morning. They advanced second place out of their group on the West Coast. Herc, that was, what, a 1 a.m.? A wake-up call for us to watch this game, a 4 a.m. on the East Coast. I don't know if it was a bad performance, but it was certainly not an enjoyable performance. Uh, a performance I am glad I did not stay up for or get up early for. You hit the DVR. You were, yes, you were wise. DVR, on that one. I watched yeah. it the next day, and I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Underwa- under, underwhelming, excuse me, underperforming, um, surprising, all these adjectives I've heard about this game. When I watched it, it looked like both teams, actually, both teams, yeah, not yeah. just the U.S. women's team, were going through the motions, were content with what was going on. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, where they are in the tournament. Right. The tie really, in a lot of ways, benefited both. Both, both were going to go through, and really from the U.S. standpoint, the win was not likely to help them. You pretty much figured Sweden was going to take care of business and win the group. So I understand the idea that there wasn't all that much on the line at stake for this U.S. team, but Herc... Um, It was just such a drab performance for so much of that game. And really, the attack just, I mean, there was no danger. No. There was no danger. Like, if you're going to wake me up that early in the morning, give me some excitement. Give me some drama. I'll take a 0-0, but with some element of something. (laughs) Do you want to get into the attack, Ren? Do you want to talk about the attack? Because if you look at the attack, there's no creativity. 
Right. Okay? It, it looks very one-dimensional. It looks like you're trying to get Alex Morgan in behind or you're trying to set in across, but not beat somebody down the line and then cross the ball. It's Megan Rapino doesn't really beat somebody and cuts back and it's across from deep to Alex Morgan, and that's not her forte. Maybe right. if Carly Lloyd was there, you could say that makes sense, but it's very pragmatic in the way they attack. Kind very like one-dimensional. Predictable very predictable. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's the yeah. word I was looking for. So it, it didn't surprise me that the outcome was this. So I'm looking at the stats here. Uh, yeah, Australia had more possession, more shots. It's 65 percent. <laughs> That's what it was like. Possession. This yeah. is what I thought of. Look at this. The Simpsons, where they just knock on the ball one way to the other. Borciaga too. Borciaga too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is what it was like. Yeah. And it was like that for both teams. I think it's uh, it's worth mentioning. The 65% possession, though, that's something that you don't really see this U.S. team get dominated in that way. What it makes me wonder, Herc, is if a little of what we're seeing in the men's international game isn't seeping over into the women's international game. I, and I always hesitate to make those comparisons, but here's why. 2016 Euros. Portugal won, giving the ball up and hitting it on the counter. 2018 World France, Cup. France wins, doing the same thing. Even the 2020 Euros. Maybe Italy had a little bit more of the ball. They still didn't. Certainly in Spain, they invited Spain forward and hit them on the counter. England made the final, playing essentially like, hey, we're going to hang back and see what we can do against yeah. you. I feel like that's taking over international soccer. And i got to say, as a viewer, I hate it. Do I do you? not like it. Doesn't, it does not lead to exciting soccer. Uh, there are different ways of playing that. You know, you've seen your heavy metal, your Liverpool's ways. Yep. You've seen the transition football of a team like France and how they explode and then three touches and they're down your end. It's, it's different ways of making it exciting. But if you're a team like the U.S. women, maybe this plays into your benefit because physically the U.S. women for the longest time have just been mm-hmm. Dominant yep. in the women's game. They've just been so much stronger, so much faster. Faster, stronger, and fitter. And fitter, fitter. Too. But that's not what we're seeing today. Yep. The fitter part is the part that gets me. Okay, so for all that we've said about the U.S. performance, and it wasn't great, we're probably singing a different tune if in the 33rd minute, Alex Morgan's goal is allowed to stand. Right. And honestly, it should have been allowed to stand. They showed us the bar. It was definitely not offside, right? I'm not crazy. There, no, there's, there's no offside. You know what kills me is we could sit here and we could argue about is it offside, is it not? The referee can go take a look at the VAR. Yeah. At no present point did they say, hey, come look at it for yourself because it's kind of tight. Yeah. We got a little discussion here. We got a little situation The VAR ref in this instance makes the call for, for the, the center ref. Yeah. And that's what gets me because goals change games. This goal gets in, it goes in, all of a yeah. sudden the U.S. women are playing with a bit of swagger, a bit of confidence. Australia now has to look for the game, chase yeah. the game, which opens them up. And now a player like Alex Morgan can use her speed, get in behind. Now players like Megan Rapinoe have more room to operate. They're not so smothered. Uh, it would have been a much easier game on our eyes. And goals don't just change games. They also change tournaments for individuals. Like yeah. Alex Morgan probably needed that, didn't she? Absolutely. Because there was a chance early on that she misses that is not like Alex Morgan. That no. long breakaway. Yeah, and she's reaching for it as she yep, strikes yep. it. Old Alex Morgan. Like, looks beats. uncomfortable, right? Yeah, old Alex Morgan, one, sees the player coming through, takes the angle, so the player's got to take her out. Yep. And go, or she goes to goal by herself. And old Alex Morgan blows by you with pace. It looked laboring at the end where she yep. thought she was going to get caught, and she had to reach for it. And your psyche. You score that goal. It's much easier for you because you're dealing with these insecurities of why did my coach take me out halftime of the first game? Yep. Yeah. Uh, what, what's going on here? And why didn't he start me? Why didn't he start me in the second game? The second game is New Zealand. Exactly. So, well, speaking of Alex Morgan, she had some very interesting comments after the match, specifically about the strategy that the U.S. went with uh, against. Australia. Quote, it was a tactical decision by Coach Vladko Andonovsky to shift defensively a little more conservatively and really allow them to be impatient, play along, and give it back to us. Eventually, I feel like both teams kind of sat in and it became a matter of playing a professional game 
and moving on. All right, that was Alex Morgan. Here's Tony Gustafsson, who we know is Australia's coach now, but used to be the assistant for the U.S. under Jill Ellis. So he knows his team really well. Quote, the one thing that surprised me a little bit was that they were passive in their pressing. I used to see them very, very aggressive. I think it was two teams that respected the space in behind. All right, Herc, so give me a little bit of a translation here. What's Alex Morgan really saying about what she thought about Vlatko's strategy? She's really saying, what do you want us to do? Our coach wanted to play it safe. Yep. So I ask you, why are they playing it safe? When is the U.S. women, when have they ever played it safe? It seems un-American in their approach. They're a team that's always been on the front, do you on the offensive. Do you think it's like smart strategy, just Vlatko maybe evolving this team a little bit? Or do you think it's a reaction, potentially an overreaction, to what happened early in this tournament? Overreaction. They got throttled yeah. by Sweden. I don't know that this team has recovered from it's, that. It's an overreaction, uh, and you're right. Maybe they've not gotten over it, and maybe Vlatko himself mm hasn't gotten over it because when I hear this from Alex Morgan, she's questioning, to me it sounds like she's questioning Blacko's decision as well. So if your own players are questioning it, well, it translates into play. Yeah, there seems to be, and we may be singing a different tune if they go on to win the gold medal, a slight disconnect between this team. One in those comments from Alex Morgan. She's very clearly, if not pointing the finger, at least telling everybody, hey, the person responsible for this decision is Vladko Anonofsky. But let me take you back to that first game of the tournament as well. Vladko Anonofsky, in his post-game comments after that, said, this is a team that is not the team that I've been coaching up until this point. Basically, like, the, players, the players didn't show up. So I see that as if we were if we were like reading between the lines, a little bit of both sides being like, hey, it's on the other side. L let me tell you something, Seb. When you have to use, when you utilize the press mm -hmm. to send messages, whether it's player to coach or coach to player, it's never a healthy situation and something is festering in that locker room. Fair enough. Look, we, um, we don't get much right on this show, let's be honest. Right. I certainly rarely, if no. ever, get anything right. But every once in a while, I get something right, uh, as I did during our Olympic preview. Here it is. Another reason I picked her is because if the U.S. stumbles in the group phase, if they finish second in their group and going up against Sweden and Australia, there's very much a possibility of that. They would get the number one team out of the Dutch group. I think it will be Vivian Miedema and this Dutch side. So we could be headed towards a World Cup final rematch in the quarterfinals. Miedema. Uh -huh. All right. It helps when she breaks out, what was it, five goals in the first game? I think she had four in the first game. All right, guys. all right. She's it was game up. over from the first game, but that's an incredible shout, Sebastian Salzer. I got to give you credit. Can we just credit. say that? Can we just say, not only did I call exactly how the groups would play out, but what? Vivian Miedema. Sorry? Vivian Miedema. You called how the groups would play out? Yeah, I said. I said U.S. would finish second, Netherlands would finish first, we'd get them in the quarterfinals, and I said Vivian Miedema. Well, I didn't say she would be top scorer, we have to be honest there, but she is uh, well on her way to being that uh, with eight goals so far throughout the tournament. Um, okay, so how do we break this down then? Is the U.S. still favorites? Because remember, before the tournament, they were minus 165 the to win only goal. team. Yes, yes. They were overwhelming favorites, better than everybody else um, in the field. Are they still your favorites against the Netherlands? I don't know how you can pick them as your favorites. And really? I, I don't think there's a team, especially in the Netherlands or any team that could potentially face them down the road that is quite afraid of them or, or you think over they lost that fear factor because that's been I something do. for this U.S. team for the longest time that's almost been you know the joker in the deck yeah like when, when they were playing even with teams they had a fear factor if you're telling me they've lost that I'm worried 
You, you said something interesting uh, pre-production when you and I were talking about this. You, you said how this reminds you of the last Olympics, yes. how they limped in against Sweden. What happened against Sweden? Totally. Yeah, they lost in the quarterfinals. I look back at that group phase uh, at the Rio Olympics, and there were some really passive, kind of tame performances. There was a 2-2 against Colombia, yeah. and that was the last game before the quarterfinals. And what we all thought was, oh, it's the U.S. Yeah, they'll react. They'll the bounce back. The rounds will come out. They'll flip the switch. And, and that's the thing that I think we have to honestly ask ourselves about this U.S. team when we think about them as either being able to beat Netherlands or, or make a run deeper in this tournament is do you really believe that a team that is, let's be honest, not played well, not scored against anybody that isn't New Zealand can suddenly flip a switch? I would think that's a really hard thing to do, but you've been in these tournament settings It's extremely before. difficult because not only are you trying to flip a switch to yourself, but you're trying to do it against a team that you beat in a World Cup final. They've right. got their own switch to yeah, flip. Yeah, They've got yeah. their own demons Didn't to exercise. Think about that, but you're yeah. Right, yeah. So, so there, it's, it's a lot going on, and if you're a U.S. women's national team player right now, you're really thinking about who you have in front of you and how you played, and that is nervy. When it comes to being more on the psyche, yep. more on the player's mentality of confidence, and, and quite frankly, for an aging team, it's a team that now has, what, three games under their belt, yep. going yep. to the fourth, not quite on the right side of 30. Uh, definitely daunting. Yeah, for sure. So those odds at the beginning of the tournament, I mentioned them, minus 165 for the U.S., they have shifted. They're now plus 190, but which is a significant shift, but the U.S. women's national team is still by far the odds-on favorite to win gold at the Tokyo Olympics, despite everything that we've seen from this team. You're going to bet? Wild stuff. Uh, I like that plus 190 a lot better than I like that minus 165. No value there. <laughs> now you got a little value for the uh, U.S. women's national team. What about the Mexican men's national team? They are also into the knockout rounds at the Olympics for the Mexican men. It comes after beating South Africa 3-0 early this morning. Goals from Alexis Vega, Henry Martin, Luis Romo, and Herc after the loss against Japan. We asked, I think, Rightfully so. Which Mexico was the real Mexico? The team that rolled France or the team that really looked kind of out of their league against Japan? After this performance, another pretty contundente, pretty convincing win for Mexico. Are you convinced they're a legit metal threat? Metal threat? Ah, a legit metal threat. A legit metal threat? No. A metal still, threat? Still, you yes. still have doubts. Well, because Mexico's somewhere in between that worldly of France, and now we know it's probably one of the worst French teams, right? Uh, okay, with, here we with go. With the, like, 10 goals, and they didn't win a game, or they only won one game, it was South Africa. And they played against a South Africa team that they routed, but South Africa was already gone. They already eliminated from contention. Um, so there's somewhere in between. I mean, they, they've blown out two teams but, in this tournament. Fair enough, okay. but but they're, they're, they're of the Mexicos that we always see in tournaments mm. where you don't really know what to expect. They can give you world, top world-class I would say they're different than the Mexico we see in most tournaments. The Mexico we see in most tournaments doesn't finish. This one does. Well, they didn't against Japan. They didn't even create against Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where do you want to put the balance? You know, one game against France, one game against Japan, or the game against South Africa is already eliminated. What I do know is there are very good players with very good individual performances that have carried them in two games. I'm looking at the teams that are already out. Argentina, Germany, yeah. France. Like, some of the heavyweights are gone. So I think it opens it up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident calling them a legit medal threat now. But there's some good performances, man. You mentioned it. Alexis Vega. Remember during the Olympic qualifying tournament? I thought he was... Terrible is probably too strong, but not great. I didn't think Alexis... What? In the Olympic qualifying... Are you kidding tournament. me? He was the best player there. 
He even won the golden ball. Yeah, but that, the best that player team there. was so... He was playing a different position because Jota Jota Macias wasn't available. I, I see him as a totally different player now. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I think from that moment on, yeah. and even at Chivas, from that moment on to now, he's one of the best players that the Mexican national team has. And I'm not talking about just at the Olympic level. I'm thinking he's knocking on the door to be one of Tata's men going on to what is Qatar. Uh, a very good player. By far the MVP of this tournament for me. Uh, he, he's bringing it. Yeah, if there was something surprising about this Mexico 11, at least to me, and you know I'm a Diego Lainez lover, is that he wasn't in the starting yeah. lineup. When they go on to win 3 nothing, you can't really question Jimmy Lozano's choice, right? Oh. Uh, it, obviously, it worked out well, but I have to say I was surprised and, frankly, a little bit disappointed. But then, when I saw everybody else playing as well as they did, Vega, Antuna, etc., Man, maybe I'm a little more disappointed in Linus than I am Lozano. As, as well you should be. If you think about it, Jimmy Lozano twice now has pressed the right buttons with Linus. Taking him out and who's come in in his place has really done well. And it's Uriel Antuna. Uriel Antuna, see what you will about how he got there and the Galaxy and going to Chivas and his play at Chivas. When he puts on that Mexican national team jersey at any level, he transforms himself. He's a very productive player, which is something Diego Linus is not. Mm. And that worries mm. me. I know. I know what you're going to say. Think about this. A hundred, over 120 games for Diego Linus in his first division career. I'm talking about Liga MX. I'm talking about Copa MX. I'm talking about Conca Champions. I'm talking about La Liga, Copa del Rey. I'm talking about Europa League. I'm talking about the Mexican national team and the Olympic national team. And in all that time, over 120 games, 10 goals, 10 assists. That's very little productivity for a player that plays in that position. And my worry for him is that he's very entertaining to watch. Yep. But he's not productive when it comes to being a guy that scores goals or produces assists. Yeah, and eventually that's going to be the, the deciding factor in his career, right? He plays a position where you need to be productive. Yeah. So if he's not But I love, to, I love to see him play because look, look at the way he gets you off your seat. You yep. know, he gets, he gets on the ball and he dances, and you're like, he's going to create something. Something's going to happen. Is there another player like that that you can draw the comparison who early in their career wasn't productive and then found a way to turn it into goals and an assist? Oh, man. It's a difficult. I think of like a, like a Danielson, you know, back in the day, like all oh, the step over. <laughs> but that's all dance, exactly. Right, right. So there are these players that are luxury pieces on the field. You don't want to be a luxury piece on the field. That's not who you want to be because right. those players don't last. They get phased out. Yep. All right, uh, fair enough. A player who's not going to get phased out, although you would have liked to have phased him out on the last show, is Henry Martin. Oh. The refuerzos are doing the job for Mexico. Do you want to apologize to our man who finally scored? How, how, how did I? How did I? You said, you literally on the last show said Henry Martin should not have been called up as one of the refuerzos. No, we questioned it and you agreed. He's never been the man anywhere he's been. I will give him this credit though. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you watch the game against South Africa, he was physically getting beat up every single time. I think one of the players was red carded for, for a challenge on him. And when you're a, a forward, a nine, and you're doing all the right things, all the little things for your team and your teammates and the coach, you want to reward yourself with that play by scoring a goal. You're a, a refuerzo, reinforcement, one of the overage players. There seems to be a weight that, that, that should be carried with your play. And that wasn't the case leading up to it. So he finally rewards himself with a goal, and I think that was brilliant. Yeah, Luis Romo, of course, uh, scoring as well. Was that uh, him? What's that? Was that really Luis Romo scoring the goal? Uh, I'm sorry. What, what do you mean, on the video? <laughs> no, I'm just saying it, it, it kind of like very fortuitous bounce off. His, I don't know if yes. it was his opponent, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Well, we'll credit him with We'll the credit that him. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it was his run. I think he's run. having a good tournament. Yeah. Uh, having a good tournament. Obviously, he should. Uh, one of the overage players here. So South Korea is who Mexico draws in the quarterfinal. Would you be confident or worried if you were a Mexico fan here? 
A little both. Because let me, hold on, hold on, <laughs> let me say this. When we first started breaking down this tournament, you were like, well, whatever happens, Mexico, whoever they right. get out of Group B, we'll, they're going to we'll love it. We'll take it. Yeah, we'll take, take, we'll yeah. take South Korea so or Honduras. They just beat Honduras 6-0. Oh, yeah. And if I look at the way that Japan played against Mexico and the physical deficiencies by the Mexican players in keeping up with the speed of play. If South Korea could present some of that, you have to be worried for them, Seb. Yeah. I mean, Japan exposed Mexico in a way that I've not seen Jimmy Lozano's men be yeah. exposed in quite some time, if, if ever. So if South Korea can mimic some of that speed of play, especially in their attacking third, and they just drop six on an opponent that Mexico knows very well, yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's not an that's not something that leaves me at ease if I'm a Mexico fan. South Korea, 10 goals in their last two games. Against. Six against Honduras, four against Romania. But then there's the other side of the coin, which is a one nothing loss against New Zealand. Yeah. So certainly um, this is a team that can be had. One other important note, Charlie Rodriguez out for this game, suspended. Right. That's a big loss for Mexico, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. this tournament, yeah. It is. It is. Because yeah. he's, he's a very good player. He's got experience. But, and I don't understand the boneheadedness of yeah. his decision that you're winning 3-0 a man up with like 20 minutes to go let him if he's gonna go 1v1 with Memo Ochoa take your chances don't red card yourself and put your team in a difficult position for the next game fair enough wonder if uh, Charlie Rodriguez will be watching Rayados against Pumas on Saturday night it'll be on well I don't know where it'll be on in Japan but here it'll be on <laughs> ESPN Deportes and ESPN Plus Monterrey and Pumas 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Bond, Jonathan Bond joins us now, then on Football America's. Jonathan, welcome to the show. You look like you're quite enjoying life in Los Angeles. How you been? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, I feel very at home. Um, I've said everyone really welcomed me from from day one, from minute one. So I kind of felt very settled very quickly. And I'm enjoying every minute. I'm looking forward to every game. I'm enjoying the league, um, enjoying the city. So, yeah, everything good so far. Jonathan, I'm looking at your career resume. You've played all over the place when it comes to England, all over the lower tiers, like a decade plus in that system. How does a guy who's gone all through all of that then end up with the Los Angeles Galaxy all the way here in Major League Soccer? Yeah, I mean, those experiences are good, especially when I was younger. I had a lot of loans um, when I was kind of 17, 18, 19. You learn the lower leagues in England. It's tough. It's unforgiving. Um, but you learn good lessons and it puts you in, in better stead for uh, for a career in England. And um, I found myself maybe the last couple of years not getting as much game time as I would have liked. And uh, LA Galaxy kind of uh, offered me to come out and give me a platform to show what I could do and express myself. And um, really, it was it's, it's been everything that I could have hoped for. So uh, yeah, uh, so far so good. Well, you've made the most of that time. Hot start for the Galaxy, but then. Javier Hernandez Chicharito gets injured. Uh, what would you assess the Galaxy at this halfway point of Major League Soccer season? Well, I think last season was obviously a difficult season for the club. Um, we've had a lot of new um, additions in the squad. We uh, we kind of we started really well. You know, we're kind of we're getting a lot of results whilst trying to find an identity. You know, we're trying to find a new way of playing, and we have a manager who's been hugely successful in the league. Um, playing a certain way but that kind of it's not an easy way that you just pick up straight away it's going to take time 
and um, yeah, we have, you know, like every team, we have things to improve. Um, like you say, Chicha was a massive player for us. He was kind of winning us games with his goals. And we kind of now have to do our best to, to uh, pick up results while he's while he's injured. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, like we kind of expected, I guess there's going to be things improve. And hopefully as the season goes on, uh, we'll, we'll look more and more polished and, and time it right going into the playoffs. You know, it's not every day we have a goalkeeper here to really tell us what makes Javier Hernandez, Chicharito great. You see him every day. What makes him so special? Well, first of all, his finishing ability and training is is incredible, really. You know, seeing it up close, uh, his, his first time finishing volleys, um, you know, finishing off crosses is, is high, high level. As, you really, uh, as you'd expect, he's played for Real Madrid and Man United. Um, but then on the other side of things, in games, he kind of, he sets the tone for us. You know, his mindset, he's a leader in the changing room. Um, he kind of initiates those those presses and those pressures and we have a, a lot of young players you know we have you know like Kevin Sam they've just come in they're new to the league and to have him up there is important to, to kind of lead that press that um, that we like to do and we like ha how we like to play so yeah in terms of even off the ball he's, he's been he's been a big loss for us and uh, I, I don't think it's a it's a long long-term injury he's going to be back soon but um, we have to kind of try and do as well as we can whilst while he's not around so and look, we've got quality all that throughout, throughout the squad, so uh, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. All right, I'm trying to think of how I'm going to say this. Uh, Major League Soccer goalies, Jonathan, have somewhat of a, how do we state this, reputation beyond the league. Some people outside of MLS don't think the goalkeeping in this league is all that good. You've come in, you've seen it, you've experienced. What do you think of the standard of goalkeeping in Major League Soccer? Well, truthfully, personally, I always thought... Uh, my opinion was that the standard of goalkeeping was good from when I was back in England. Um, there were always good American keepers that we saw uh, in England. You know, Tim Howard, Casey Keller going back a little bit, Brad Friedel, Brad Guzan. There, there were always been at least one or two in the league American goalkeepers. And they're, they're very aggressive, very agile. The reactions are very good. Physically, they're great. And they have a, a certain style, which is great, you know, and that's kind of what I've found since I've been here. It's not just American goalkeepers in the MLS, that, which is fine, but the American goalkeepers who I have played against in the MLS have, uh, have been that kind of style and, and they're, they're hugely successful at it. And, and, you know, speaking to Kevin, he kind of has helped me imp in, implement some of, those, um, some of those qualities in my own game. So I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, I've, I've enjoyed this way of training and, and even when I'm playing against uh, you know the goalkeeper at the other end in, in these games it's been, it's been a pleasure you know Jonathan on this show Football Americas we talk about dual nationals a lot you've actually experienced this you represented Wales and the English national team at various levels what was this experience like for you yeah, I mean, the, the Wales experience was when I was really young. You know, I kind of, we had to write down on a piece of paper every, everyone we were um, eligible for. So I did. And then the next thing I know, at the age of 15, 16, you don't really know what you're, what's going on, what, what you're getting in for. I'm playing for uh, like Wales on the 16s in a camp. And then you don't quite realise at the time that that completely ties you a little bit to uh, that, that confederation. And... No, I, was, um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with, with the Wales youth teams, but then um, had the opportunity to, to, to play for England on the 21s with some high-level high players, you know, Premier League players that are kind of household names now. Um, players that you've seen play in the Euros and Gareth Southgate was the manager, so that was also a great experience and uh, it was one that definitely helped me throughout my career uh, for sure at that time. 
Um, just on a human level, Jonathan, is it difficult? Like we talk a lot about it uh, with the kids that might have the chance to represent the United States or Mexico. You obviously had two choices. You're a teenager. Like, how do you weigh that decision? I, I personally don't agree with um, the way it works. I think for, for when you're asking, if you have a player with high potential who's 18, 19 years old to make a decision that ties him in for the rest of his life, uh, that's that's a very difficult decision mm. because you know, when you're 18, 19, you're still um, you're still influenced by your parents a little bit, um, and that's not always healthy when trying to make big decisions in your career and, and in your life. So you know, if we we have a couple in the squad, you know, they've they've had to make a decision early on, and it's something that they might feel or think differently when they're 26, 27, say. So um, it's not something I, I fully agree with, but it's just it's how it is, and you just have to make the, the best decision you can. So, Jonathan, you mentioned a couple of those players, Efrain Alvarez and Julian Araujo. What would you recommend or say to a player like Julian Araujo who's yet to make that decision? I spoke to Julian, and um, I guess the thing that you have to go with is just forgetting all the all the distractions and everything around making your decision. It's who do you really want to play for? You should know that deep down. Um, I think that's something he's still figuring out actually. Um, but I don't want to speak for Julian, you know, it's his decision to make. Um, I made, I made a decision when I was 19 to, uh, to change. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of, it's how you feel internally. It has to be your decision. You know, you can't be too influenced by, by friends or family, I feel. Jonathan, I'm not going to lie. It's that time of year when we're all paying attention to the transfer wire, right? Right. Who could be moving and where? And with your connection to Wales, I feel like I got to ask you about Gareth Bale because we continue to see links about the potential of him not just coming to MLS, but indeed joining the LA Galaxy. How much would you love that? Obviously, that'd be amazing. I, I, I did train with him um, when I was 17, I think, in uh, one of the Wales squads. And he's a player of immense quality and experience you know he's won the champions league i think three times maybe more i might be wrong um but just you know for a player of that quality to be linked with the mls in general let alone the galaxy is obviously exciting for a lot of people but truthfully you know at the moment i don't i, I don't see that for uh, for this season personally you know we've we've put a lot of faith in in our younger players and in our youth and um i think I mean, I don't know, you have to ask the manager, but he seems happy with the squad and we're all certainly happy with the squad and, and with each other. So I think it's now time to let the uh, the younger guys kind of enjoy their football, find their feet, learn the league and, and really push on and do something special this season. Fair enough. So we'll leave uh, Gareth Bale for the potential future of the Los Angeles Galaxy. Let's now, though, take a look back at the past of the L.A. Galaxy. Her, uh, Jonathan, here on this show, we have a segment called Drippin' or Trippin'. Basically, we analyze fashion. Drippin' means it's good. Trippin' means it's bad. So you're seeing these images. We got Jorge Campos, L.A. Galaxy Mexican national team legend in his Galaxy gear here, which is not his best gear. Uh, Jonathan, is this Drippin' <laughs> or Trippin'? What do you think? Could you have pulled this off in your day? <laughs> I have to go. Are they all going to be goalkeepers? By yeah, the way? they're all going to be goalkeepers. Oh, there, there it is. There yeah. it is. That's I'll, go, here. I'll go dripping, dripping, dripping for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. I expect to see you then. In yeah, that you could see yourself, Jonathan, in that type of gear. Would you bring it back for a retro day for the Galaxy? A Campos yeah, uniform? If we could get some kind of throwback kit, that would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, yeah. my 
Next on our list is actually a player who you both know very well. Oh. Kevin Hartman, Herc's former roommate, and now your assistant coach. Is this more, are we dripping or tripping the hair? Or the, the hair, jersey? it's okay. gotta be the do, yes. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say tripping, but the hair kind of just tilts it towards <laughs> ripping. Does he still? Does he still bleach the hair? I mean, he's got to be like what, 50 years old by now. Does he still bleach the hair? I've, I've not seen the bleach kind of die out. It's not faded. <laughs> so it must be like a every other day thing or a weekly thing. I don't know. It's always pristine. Look at that, platinum blonde before a platinum blonde. El gato was yes. in. Very very cool. A historic figure certainly in the MLS yeah. goalkeeping circles. Speaking of. I don't know where you settle on, on this very critical topic. Goalies in pants. Paul Grafer, oh, uh, an MLS icon. His pants were legendary. What do you think, Jonathan? Are you a pants guy? <laughs> no, that's, that's tripping for me. That's tripping. <laughs> what would it take to get you in pants on the field? Well, it would have to be freezing. Yeah. Maybe in like... Well, where's, where gets cold? Colorado? Does Colorado get cold in the Kansas winter? Kansas City, uh, New England. Minnesota. Imagine yeah, Minnesota. Minnesota yes. The Galaxy have Columbus. a playoff game in Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Maybe. All right, we'll Maybe. hold you to that. Maybe there will be a, a pants game then for a... Definitely uh, not in Carson. No. No, no, no there will be, a, there will be a, no excuse there. Okay, hey, uh, by the way, you still got uh, one more thing to get to with you, and that's the actual game. You got a game Friday against the Portland Timbers. Uh, Jonathan, what do you expect from this one? Timbers-Galaxy always seems to be a good matchup and, frankly, an exciting matchup. There's always some drama. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we played them earlier in the season. We started really well. We had a really good first half. We had all the possession. We were in control of the game. Uh, and then we had a man sent off and everything changed. So the, the first half and the second half were like two, uh, two completely different games. Um, it was difficult, you know, play 45 minutes with, with 10 men and they, they used the ball well, they used their overload well. So it'd be good to actually play them, you know, when, when it's 11 v 11 and, and see who's the better side. All right, Jonathan Bond, the LA Galaxy. Thanks so much for the time here on Football America. As we know, you stayed after practice to join us here on the show. Good luck Friday night against the Timbers. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. Speak soon, Jonathan. There he goes. Bond, Jonathan Bond. You can see him on Friday, part of an MLS doubleheader on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. Action starts 8 p.m. Eastern time, Orlando City against Atlanta United. The Nightcap, LA Galaxy, Portland Timbers. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Eric Housler on MLS News. We got a big trade. LAFC trading Mark Anthony K to the Colorado Rapids for $1 million in allocation money. Now, K's contract was up at the end of the season. Taking that into consideration, though, Herc, was this a mistake by LAFC to trade away one of their midfield stalwarts? No, not really. Oh, you don't think they need him then? No, no, it's not that. It's not that at all. Sounds what, like what is GAM? GAM is general allocation money, right? So with that money, you can potentially buy down or buy an addition. And who are they trying to get rid of right now? Brian Rodriguez, okay? Yes. They're actively trying to get him out. So if that money could be used to get him out and bring in another DP, great. Because it's already a crowded midfield. I mean, Sin uh, Fuentes is there. You've got Atuesta there. You've got even you got even Latif Blessing playing, uh, playing there with Ginella. So it's already a crowded midfield. And it wasn't like Mark Anthony K this season was tearing up with LAFC or LAFC with him. So maybe this is a good move because, as we know, he's a player whose contract 
could be coming up soon and could have European aspirations. And if LAFC isn't willing to give him that next contract, right. let the man get paid in Colorado. And get something for him, and right? Get, get something, something for him. him. And $1 million, even if it's in GAM or TAM or whatever Monopoly people want to laugh about, yeah. it's still valuable. It still helps Correct. you build a roster. Uh, one thing is, what would they do with this money then? They're linked to a Cristian Arango, a 26-year-old Colombian forward playing for Millonarios right now. He's played a little bit in Portugal and I think a little bit in like the Spanish uh, second division with Valencia. Bay. I guess the question then is, do they need a defensive center midfielder more or a center forward more? And I feel like every time we talk about LAFC, we talk about the gaping hole at the nine. Yeah, but we've been mentioning that since its inception. Right. And Carlos Vela, not a nine, led the league in scoring goals, which is pretty much a nine's job. And so the what way do they, they need play, more than a nine or a, or a holding midfielder? Well, well the, way, the way they play, they don't really need neither. What they need. Oh, you what definitely. They need no, 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 no. You, no, they need a six. No. You've got to have a six. First of all, just in general. Edward Atuesta isn't a good six? Every time Mark Anthony K gets hurt, every time Mark Anthony K gets hurt, it's the excuse for LAFC. Oh, well, we didn't have K in the That's playoffs. That's been the oh, excuse for this. LAFC. Oh, Who are you talking to? I'm just saying, he was hurt. Look at the best players on LAFC. Mm-hmm. Mark Anthony K. If you say who are the two best players, Mark Anthony K isn't going to be one of the two best players. It's Eduardo Tuesta and it's Carlos Vela. Carlos Vela first, Eduardo Tuesta second. And then you can go and make a case for Eddie Segura. If I wanted to go out and really get a player for LAFC, it's a goalkeeper. You know, that's right. who I really want to bank so you on. Think, you think they need to improve the defense more than the attack? Is that what you're saying? Because this makes this weakens your defense, and in theory, if they bring in this Columbia guy, will strengthen the attack. not a defender. And, and they've Mark Anthony K doesn't make you a better defensive team? Not this season. Mm. No. Mark Anthony K hasn't been good for them this season. Okay, we're just not going to see eye to eye then. What about Colorado? Well, I, I don't, you know. <laughs> Are they uh, MLS Cup contenders now? You've got a pretty good midfield. That's, uh, you got Robin K, Frazier. you got Kellen Acosta. Yeah, Kellen Acosta, you got Cole Bassett there. Uh, Robin Frazier's Pushing the right buttons. Dude, the Colorado Rapids are not just trying to get good. I think they're actually getting good. And they're, they spend money. They're third right they now. They spend a lot of money for Kellen Acosta. They spend a lot of money to bring in Mark Anthony K. They're tr- actively trying, which I give them credit for. Yep, third right now in terms of uh, points per game in the Western Conference. Uh, another note out of the Western Conference, in case you missed it, Ricardo Pepe. Remember, we talked about him on the last show, a hat trick. Well, FC Dallas saw that hat trick and said, you are going absolutely nowhere, at least uh, in the short term. They've signed him to a contract extension five years that will keep him with FC Dallas through 2026. Good move here for all sides, right, Herc? Yeah, expected, right? Anytime a player blows totally. up, the club wants to protect themselves. They want to sign him to a longer-term deal so he doesn't leave on a free, which, by the way, mm-hmm. FC Dallas knows a lot about. Yep. Lots of players have left on a free at FC Dallas. Big players today, players like Weston McKinney, they don't want to repeat of that. And uh, this is a commanding a higher transfer fee now. Yeah, and I don't think it keeps him from moving, right? No, this is I think, if anything, it cements it, right? Right, and it's it's a step in the process because now FC Dallas really goes to wherever that next negotiating table is and says, look, we don't have to, we don't have to let him go. We right. got him for five years. So if you really want him, come with some very serious cash. Speaking of serious cash, that's what it takes to invest in Major League Soccer nowadays. And you know who the latest investor in MLS is? Patrick Mahomes. That's right. He is now a part owner of Sporting Kansas City. The famous celebrity ownership just continues to grow, Herc, around this league. <laughs> this man, let me really quickly. Patrick Mahomes and his wife mm-hmm. uh, are accumulating quite the collection yeah. of teams that they own. Mm-hmm. The Can- what was it that they are going to own right now? Uh, the Kansas City Royals, now the Sporting Kansas City team. They own a part of the women's team as well, yep. women's soccer team in Kansas City. Yep. Yes, uh, very smart move. And if you're MLS, you welcome this type of ownership, right? What was his contract? Like $400 million. Half a billion yeah, dollars. Yeah, just like something crazy. Half a billion dollar so, man. Um, look, here's all the famous MLS owners. It was on one of these shows that you were telling me that Seattle had invented celebrity ownership. Correct. Look at that. Um, there they are. There's, there's and the only, yeah, look at that. We got some Seattles in that starting 11, don't you we? Mean, you got like six of them. Look, Russell 
Wilson, yeah. you saw Ken Griffey, Ciara, you see Drew. Drew, uh, Drew Carey wasn't on yeah. the starting 11. I mean, that's a, that's. I don't know what blasphemy. to say. Blasphemy. 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 How could they not respect Seattle? Macklemore. Macklemore could be do. on the bench. That's no, fine. No. Seattle invented MLS, just in case you didn't know. All right, that's it uh, for this it's edition Seattle. of Football Americas. We are back on Friday. And, Herc, where are we? Las Vegas! That's right. Live in Las Vegas. What you wearing for the good people at home? My, my Italianos, the Saints of Italy. We'll see you Friday. A preview of the Gold Cup Final Plus reaction to all that's happening in the Olympics. The U.S. women will have just Vegas, played baby. right before we go live to air on Friday. We will see you then on the next edition of Football Americas right here. You ain't never been to Vegas. You ain't never been to Vegas. Not until I've been with you. Not with me. There you go. Oh, they want us to talk more?